Hello and welcome back to another episode of Witch Fix. Today is slightly unusual because I will be discussing two books in one episode and that is because those two books are not only by the same author but they also follow on from each other. The first is Chocola by Joanne Harris which you may know of because it's very very popular but also because it was turned into a film starring Juliette Binoche and Johnny Depp. The second is the sequel to Chocolat called The Lollipop Shoes, which came out later. And I'm reviewing both because they're both books that I absolutely love. And while Chocolat does have a bit of that magical realism feel to it, The Lollipop Shoes is really where all the magic kicks off in the series. So I thought I'd do both in one. Firstly, Chocolat was released in 1999 by Joanne Harris, and it was really her first book that put her on the map, although she had written a few books before that. This was the one that took off and became immensely popular, and hence why there was a film about it. Now, it was absolutely praised, and it got its film adaptation, and it also got a sequel, which was The Lollipop Shoes, and it went on and won various awards and was shortlisted for others, which was quite impressive. The story of Chocolat, just in case no one has read it or seen the film, although I feel like it's probably one that a lot of people are going to be familiar with, is that a woman called Vian and her young daughter move into a small French village at the beginning of Lent, and they open a chocolate shop. And Vianne is uh, the daughter of kind of an itinerant mother. They travelled all over the, the world. And finally, her mother died in New York. And since then, she's been on her own and then raising her daughter. She has a real passion for cooking and chocolate. But she also has a passion instilled in her by her mother for tarot and for folk magic, which is sort of played down in Chocolat as just sort of things that she does to make other people happy and to make her own space nice and welcoming. Unfortunately, she instantly gets pitted up against the local priest, Francis Reynolds, and he views her opening the chocolate shop as sort of an act of war on God, because obviously it's the start of Lent and people aren't meant to be having chocolate. Vianne then starts to sort of kindly meddle in people's lives. For instance, she has a friend called Josephine. She makes, um, because Josephine's husband is abusive, and there is a trigger warning on this one for spousal abuse, no surprises there. And she also befriends various other people in the village, gets involved in their lives and tries to help them and to at the same time protect herself. So that's Chocolat. And it's actually a wonderful little book. I absolutely love it. I read it when I was about 13. So I was a bit late to it, but my parents had all of the Joan Harris books and I picked this one up. And I remember distinctly pretending that I had a migraine and couldn't do volleyball because I wanted to go to the sick bay and finish reading this book. It's that good. I literally couldn't put it down. Real page turner. They're sort of short chapters. They really kind of pace you along. And it's alternating perspective between Vian and between the priest himself. So it kind of all speeds along very nicely. And the conclusion is very, very satisfying. I'm just going to read you a little extract from the beginning of Chocolat. And this is actually page 15. Uh, they've arrived during the carnival and they've gone into this closed down bakery that they're going to reopen as a chocolate shop. And I just thought it was quite a nice extract because it really illustrates the kind of folk practices that Vian and her daughter do. I apologise in advance for my terrible pronunciation of any French words that may occur in this. But I mean, I'm going to try, but I'm sorry. The carnival is gone. Once a year, the village flares into transient brightness, but even now the warmth has faded, the crowd dispersed. The vendors pack up their hot plates and awnings. The children discard their costumes and party favours. 
A slight air of embarrassment prevails, of abashment at this excess of noise and colour. Like rain in midsummer, it evaporates, runs into the cracked earth and through the parched stones, leaving barely a trace. Two hours later, Lanskenet Soutin is invisible once more, like an enchanted village which appears only once every year. But for the carnival, we should have missed it altogether. We have gas, but as yet, no electricity. On our first night, I made pancakes for Anouk by candlelight, and we ate them by the fireside, using old magazines for plates, as none of our things can be delivered until tomorrow. The shop was originally a bakery, and still carries the baker's wheat sheaf, carved above the narrow doorway. But the floor is thick with a flowery dust, and we picked our way across a drift of junk mail as we came in. The lease seems ridiculously cheap, accustomed as we are to city prices. Even so, I caught the sharp glance of suspicion from the woman at the agency as I counted out the banknotes. On the lease document, I am Vianne Rocher, the signature hieroglyph which might mean anything. By the light of the candle, we explored our new territory. The old ovens still surprisingly good beneath the grease and soot, the pine-panelled walls, the blackened earthen tiles. Anuk found the old awning folded away in a back room, and we dragged it out, spiders scattered from under the faded canvas. Our living area is above the shop, a bedsit and washroom, ridiculously tiny balcony, terracotta planter with dead geraniums. Anuk made a face when she saw it. It's so dark, Maman. She sounded awed, uncertain in the face of so much dereliction, and it smells so sad. She is right. The smell is like daylight trapped for years until it has gone sour and rancid, of mouse droppings and the ghosts of things unremembered and unmourned. It echoes like a cave, the small heat of our presence only serving to accentuate every shadow. Paint and sunlight and soapy water will rid us of the grime, but the sadness is another matter, the forlorn resonance of a house where no one has laughed for years. Anouk's face looked pale and large-eyed in the candlelight, her hand tightening in mine. Do we have to sleep here? she asked. Pontruf doesn't like it. He's afraid. I smiled and kissed her solemn golden cheek. Pontruf is going to have to help us. We lit a candle for every room, gold and red and white and orange. I prefer to make my own incense, but in a crisis the bought sticks are good enough for our purposes. Lavender and cedar and lemongrass. We each held a candle. Anuk blowing her toy trumpet and I rattling a metal spoon in an old saucepan, and for ten minutes we stomped around every room, shouting and singing at the top of our voices, out, 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 until the walls shook and the outraged ghost fled, leaving in their wake a faint scent of scorching and a good deal of fallen plaster. Look behind the cracked and blackened paintwork, behind the sadness of things abandoned, and begin to see faint outlines, like the afterimage of a sparkler held in the hand. Here a wall a dazzle with golden paint, here an armchair, a little shabby but coloured a triumphant orange, the old awning suddenly glowing as half-hidden colours slide out from beneath the layers of grime. Out! 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 Anouk and Pontruf stamped and sang and the faint images seemed to grow brighter, a red stool beside the vinyl counter, a string of bells against the front door. Of course I know it's only a game, glamours to comfort a frightened child. There'll have to be work done, hard work, before any of this becomes real. And yet for the moment, it is enough to know that the house welcomes us as we welcome it. Rock salt and bread by the doorstep to placate any resident gods. Sandalwood on our pillow to sweeten our dream. Later, Anuk told me Pontruf wasn't frightened anymore. So that was all right. We slept together in our clothes on the flowering mattress in the bedroom, with all the candles burning. And when we awoke, it was morning.
perhaps not a great extract to take advice from about fire safety, but I think it does say a lot about the general feel of the book. Joanne Harris's books, and I've, I think I've read all of the books that she's published to date, always have this kind of rich detail and very sensory aspect to them, especially books like Chocolat and Blackberry Wine and Five Quarters of the Orange, which tend to be a lot about food. She also has some books that she's co-written about French cookery. So there's quite a lot of, of love for food and flavours. And it kind of leaches into the other senses. So sounds, smells, the feeling of things. It's all very vivid and alive in what she writes, which I really enjoy. So Chocolat ends with uh, Vianne and Anouk living in this little village and they have their chocolate shop and everything's lovely. When we pick up with them in the 2007 novel The Lollipop Shoes, things have moved on just a little bit and uh, The Lollipop Shoes was published as The Girl With No Shadow in America because y'all have to be different. By this point Anouk and her mother are living in Montmartre in, in Paris and there is a new character who is Vianne's youngest daughter Rosette and Anouk herself is sort of getting into those early teenage years. I think she's about six in the first book or six or nine, sort of around that age. But now she's a sort of teenager and something has happened and Vianne is now more scared and less bold and triumphant than she was in the previous book. And she's kind of trying to forget about magic and tone everything down and live a normal life with her children. Anouk is kind of rebelling against that because she wants things to be the way that they were before. And onto the scene sweeps Zosie de Alba, who is a sort of troublesome trickster figure. She's a witch, just like Vianne is described as in the first book, but she has some sort of dark purpose in that she goes around basically being a con artist, but with a kind of magical slant, and she steals people's lives and she takes what she wants and she doesn't care who gets hurt in the process, which is kind of the opposite of Vianne's whole deal, because wherever she goes, she does charms and tries to help people, even though it costs her quite dearly in the end. So they're basically two sides of the same coin, and that's what makes the book so interesting. The book becomes a sort of fight between Vianne and Zosie over the soul of Vianne's daughter. Does she want to stay with her mother and face perhaps being pushed away from places that she loves and from people that she cares about by the fact that they can't just fight everybody and stay where they are? Or does she want to go with Zosie and be strong and fearless and also quite unkind and evil and murderous? There's also a lot more magic in the second one. The magic is more clearly defined. In the first book, Chocolat, it's very kind of up to your own thinking as to whether there is magic going on or whether it's just Vianne's personality and the fact that she cares so much about people that leads them to open up to her and leads her to be able to sort out their problems. In the second book, there is very much actual magic happening and the magic kind of differs depending on the perspective character. The perspective itself shifts between Vianne, Anouk and Zosie throughout the book, which is very interesting because you've got Vianne who's very kind of worried and motherly and she has these sort of small domestic magics that she uses. You've got Anouk who's discovering her own powers and trying to use some of her mother's magic but mixed in with what she's learning from Zosie. And then you've got Zosie's system, which is sort of cribbed from Mexican folklore and various other things and involves a lot of potions made from poisonous and hallucinogenic plants. 
So there's a trigger warning in this one for drug use and drugging. All in all, I would have to say that while Chocolat is sort of a warm and comforting read, The Lollipop Shoes is the one that gets my vote for witch fulfilment because there's a lot more witch stuff in it. To that end, I'm going to read you a little extract. This is from a Zozi chapter and it sort of describes her start in magic because she's actually British and she's from a small suburb and she lived there with her mother who ran an occult shop. So uh, I'm just going to read you this bit from page 95. I first began to see the colours when I was nine, just a little gleam at first, a sparkle of gold from the corner of my eye, a silver lining where there was no cloud, a blur of something complex and coloured in amongst a crowd. As my interest grew, so did my ability to see these colours. I learnt that everyone has a signature, an expression of their inner being that is visible to only a few, and with the help of a fingering or two. Mostly, there isn't a lot to see. The majority of folk are as dull as their shoes, but occasionally you can glean something worthwhile. A flare of anger from an expressionless face, a rose banner flying over a pair of lovers, the green-grey veil of secrecy. It helps when dealing with people, of course, and it helps at cards if money runs short. There's an old finger sign known by some as the Eye of Black Tezcatlipoca, for others as the smoking mirror that helps me to focus on the colours. I learned to use it in Mexico and with practice and knowledge of right fingerings I could tell who was lying, who was afraid, who was cheating on his wife and who was anxious about money. And little by little I learned to manipulate the colours that I saw to give myself that rosy glow, that gleam of something special or when a certain discretion was required, the opposite, the comforting cloak of unimportance that allows me to pass unseen and unremembered. It took me a little longer to recognise these things as magic. Like all children reared on stories, I'd expected magic, fireworks, magic wands and broomstick rides. The real magic of my mother's books seemed so dull, so fustily academic, with its silly incantations and its pompous old men, that it hardly counted as magic at all. But then, my mother had no magic, for all her study, for all her spells and candles and crystals and cards, I never saw her turn so much as a cantrip. Some people are like that. I saw it in her colours long before I told her so. Some people just don't have what it takes to make a witch. Cantrips and hand signals are featured in both books. Chocolat and the lollipop shoes and a cantrip is just a word which is from the Scottish and it basically just means a spell of any kind and this can be accompanied by um, a hand movement or just a word to bring that spell to life. Because I really liked this book when I was younger and when I was first getting into witchcraft I ended up looking up cantrips and basically you use them by doing a ritual as you would normally but you tie the focus and energy from that ritual to a specific gesture so that you can perform that gesture when you're sort of out and about and it will summon up that energy for you and this is especially helpful in things like protection and things that you might need when you're out and about on the go. Another form of magic that is used quite a lot in both books is the sachet uh, and Vianne makes these and hangs them around her business to make her more successful and they're tied up in red silk and hung around the place and I think they're also sort of carried by people in the second book as a sort of charm. 
In lollipop shoes, a lot of Zozie's magic is focused on glamours to make her look different. And I think anyone who's looked into any aspect of glamours knows that there are glamours for invisibility, in quote marks, where you make yourself look less interesting and less worthy of notice. And I think that is carried over into the book very nicely. The other forms of magic that are used are sympathetic magic involving dolls and various instances of the evil eye. I think that's because Anuk or Annie, as she goes by in the second book, is untrained. So her power kind of leaps out at her when she isn't expecting it. And in looking at people and feeling the way she does, and she uses what she calls her shadow voice, which is the voice inside you that kind of says things that without you consciously being aware that that's what you're going to say, if that makes sense, that she kind of causes things to happen. And usually those things involve the bullies who have been picking on her. There are quite a lot of lessons to be learned in the books and quite a lot that I honestly wouldn't be able to cover them here. But aside from those magical techniques that I've briefly outlined, there is a general sense that magic is not free. Vianne gives up magic in the second book because she says that for every charm and for every cantrip that she uses, there's a price that has to be paid in blood. And for her, this price is that the wind will be drawn up again by her actions and it will blow her and her daughters out of town and along the road and elsewhere, away from people and places that they love. So they can't stay put in one place if they're using magic, because the very act of using magic calls this wind that will carry them away. And Zozie's attitude towards that is that she doesn't do magic for anyone but herself. And if she does something to help someone else as part of her own plan, her own end game, then they owe her something. You know, she doesn't let anything go for free. She exacts that blood price from people who need her help and doesn't pay it herself. There's also a line in the book which I found quite nicely summed this up. And that's on page 418 of The Lollipop Shoes. And it's something Vianne's mother told her. And Vianne's mother had a touch of this magic. But she told her, you have a gift and gifts are meant to be given away. And I think that's quite true. I think if you have this kind of power that you've taken for yourself in getting involved in witchcraft, you have almost a responsibility to use it not just for yourself, but for other people as well. Because it's basically like having anything else that gives you power in the world, like actual political power or influence or money. You're kind of duty bound to use those things to help other people. You know, you do have the option of keeping it all for yourself. But as with everything else, that is selfishness. And I think that's one of the things that I like about the book so much is that Vianne is a very generous character, even though it costs her so dearly. She gives away her magic to people. She uses it for basically everyone she meets, even if they might not deserve it because they're not themselves the best people or they're not particularly nice to her. And that's the same attitude she has in her chocolate shop as well. She gives a lot of things away and she's very accepting of people. And it's just really nice and, and heartwarming to read a story about a woman who is like that. Now, I did mention that Chocolat was a film as well. Do I recommend that film? Yes, but not as a film adaptation of the book that I enjoy so much, because a lot of things are different in the film. For example, although Vianne is beautifully played by Juliette Binoche, she moves into the town and she starts up a rivalry not with a priest, but with the mayor. 
And that kind of guts the core concept of the book in that it's kind of a clash between orthodox Christian culture and this sort of more freewheeling, free pagan spirituality. That's like a main component of the book. And they just kind of went, mm, let's, just, let's just not put that in. Uh, various other things are also different. And there's different endings for different storylines as well. It's an okay film. It's not a great adaptation of the book, but you can equally enjoy it for what it is. And there's less of the kind of magic sense, I guess, because a lot of it takes place in Vianne's inner monologue and her memory, which obviously isn't something that translates well to screen. But if you get a chance to watch it, then you could do worse than to watch that film. Now, there is a third book in the series, which is called Either, depending on where you are, Peaches for Father Francis or Peaches for Monsieur Le Cure. And I have read it, but I don't like it very much. It's okay as a continuation of the story, basically involves Vianne and her family going back to the village from the first book in the series, Chocolat, the name of which I will not try and say again because I already said it once and I mangled it so badly that French people are probably throwing onions at my door as we speak. But they go back there and Father Francis from the first book is still there and he is having some problems because a mosque has been built in the town. And there's been a sort of rise of anti-Muslim hate crime and it's kind of splitting the community in half. And so this time Vianne isn't so much one of the sides in this battle, but a kind of neutral third party, which is quite interesting. And the book has some interesting things to say, but it does cut way back on the magic aspect and way back on a lot of the things that I liked about the series. So if you go into that expecting it to have the same amount of magical realism, then you're going to be disappointed. What I would really like is potentially a fourth book in the series that tells us where Zosie ended up after lollipop shoes. And I realised that part of the mystery of her character is that she kind of comes and goes as she wishes, sort of like this half feral cat that's going to kill whoever it needs to to get by in life. But it would be quite interesting to see sort of what becomes of her later on. I heartily recommend both Chocolat and the lollipop shoes. You can pick them up basically anywhere because Chocolat was so popular and because obviously the film came out and then everyone went and bought the book. You can find a copy of Chocolat in literally every charity shop between copies of Fifty Shades of Grey and Bridget Jones's Diary. It's probably the third most popular book in there. Uh, the Lollipop Shoes, a little bit harder to find because obviously it came out later. Not as many people may have bought it because obviously there's no film of it but you can get copies of it secondhand anywhere. And I think you can still buy new copies of both of them from Amazon, if not in bookshops, although most bookshops will probably stock chocolate. I also recommend a lot of other things by Joanne Harris. There's magical realism elements in Blackberry Wine, although not as many. And there are some stories about witchcraft and magic in her short story collection, Jigs and Reels, which I most heartily recommend. Now, I've touched on some trigger warnings for spousal abuse and drug use in the two books, respectively. What I will go on to say is that in the lollipop shoes, and this is potentially a little bit of a spoiler, but there is quite a strong element in the plot of the kidnapping of a small child and the raising of them by someone who is not their family member. And there is no abuse involved in that I don't really think I suppose it 
depends on your interpretation but there's no clear-cut abuse is what i would say but it still might upset people if they've been in a similar situation so i thought i'd mention that just in case you dive straight in and then it turns out to be quite a, a trigger for you i hope you've enjoyed this episode and if you have or if you have something that you'd like me to take a look at and review please do get in touch you can get in touch via twitter which is at a witch fix and on gmail which is witchfixpodcast at gmail.com i'll see you all in the next episode bye <laughs>